Truly, Father, again, we just give this day to you. We thank you for this opportunity that we can worship you. And Lord, I just uh, I just want to lift up the children who will be in city today, Lord God. I just ask that your presence would be among them as well, as they would just continue to learn about you and your truth. And Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to them further, Lord. We just thank you uh, for the freedom that we have in this country to worship you freely. Lord God, I just want to lift up uh, all the servicemen and women um, today, Lord. I just ask that you would uh, be with them and their families, those who are overseas, Lord God. I just ask that you would put your hand of protection over them. And, uh, and uh, for the families that are awaiting their return, Lord, I just ask that you'd grant them peace. And uh, just thank you so much for their sacrifice. And we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross as well, Lord God. That's uh, something we don't deserve, but you freely gave. And uh, we thank you for your word, that we may study it to know, uh, just to know you, Lord God. And so we just give this day to you. Your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. And just like that, our congregation is gone. Uh, <laughs> for those that are still here, we'll be uh, going through the book of Joel this morning. Uh, yes, Joel is a book in the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, it's in the Minor Prophets. So it's one of the last 12 books in the Old Testament. Uh, that's the biggest hint I'll give you. I'll give you guys time to turn there. Uh, we also will have all the, uh, the verses on the screen as well. Um, Last week we finished up uh, the final three chapters of the book of Jonah. I know it's kind of a, a broad summary of three chapters. I don't normally do that, but uh, there was a lot to, to glean from that, from that particular um, book in the Bible. And so uh, if you're not, if this is the first time you've been with us for a while, we are uh, going through all the minor prophets uh, in the books, uh, all the minor prophets in the Bible. Uh, there's 12 of them, so right now we're on uh, Joel chapter 1, and we'll be going through Joel for the next. Uh, probably three weeks. Uh, and the book of Joel is written, is the written prophetic word of God given to the, you guessed it, the prophet Joel. Um, and it's, it's directed towards the southern kingdom of Judah, and in particular its capital, Jerusalem. Uh, the message begins, as we're going to see this morning, with a plague of locusts. Now, little is really known about the author other than the short description we're given in verse 1, which says, Joel, the son of Pethuel. The name Joel, it really derives from two Hebrew words. The first is the abbreviated form of the covenantal name of God, which is Yahweh. And um, it's also co uh, connected with the second Hebrew word for God, El. And thus, Joel means Yahweh is God. Now what separates this book from the rest of the prophetic books is that it contains really hardly any information regarding the historical period in which the prophet ministered. And there really tends to be two beliefs or two different camps that believe what time frame uh, Joel ministered to the people of Israel. Uh, for some, they believe it, uh, that various strands of evidence point to an early date. And for others, they point to a later date. Uh, they believe that, uh, for the most part, that the minor prophets are written in, are, are put together in chronological order. And so that's really their belief on that. Uh, but the evidence really points to an earlier time frame. Uh, for example, Joel really makes no reference to later enemies of Israel. He makes no reference to Syria, Assyria, and Babylon, 
but he does mention ancient foes such as the Phoenicians and the Philistines, as well as the Egyptians and the Edomites. And this is not really conclusive evidence, but it's certainly the strongest evidence that we have in his book, pointing to either, uh, either time frame. Now, the book of Joel, it does not contain any messianic teachings, but the New Testament does use it in three different ways. We see that Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2 in his speech on the day of Pentecost um, to demonstrate that proclamation of the news of salvation would uh, bring many people who would receive the Spirit. Uh, similarly, Paul uses the same message in, in Joel chapter 2 in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10, verses 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. However, in uh, Paul's usage of it, in this context, the title of Lord is applied to Jesus in the context of calling comes from a genuine conviction that salvation is found in and only in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we see that John, in his book of Revelation, incorporates ideas from the book of Joel in his presentation of a future tribulation. Now, I understand uh, that the books of the minor prophets and the major prophets can be um, difficult to read, hard to understand, uh, and furthermore, even more difficult to apply to our setting and culture uh, today. And so my goal, my hope, and my prayer is that through this series that we'll be able to walk through each of these books together and apply its truth in our lives today. And so Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now all scripture obviously includes such books as the book of Joel that we're going through today. Uh, so before we begin, I just want to pray that God would reveal his truth to us uh, as we dig into his word. And so Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would reveal yourself today in the book of Joel, uh, that you would just... Uh, just give us something that we can apply to our lives today, uh, some, tr some further truth to know, know you more, know you deeper, and to, to be salt and light in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. The reason I pray is I did no studying this week, so we're just going to wing it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we're going to begin in Joel chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first three verses. So Joel 1, verse 1, the, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. So firstly, the, the prophet begins by addressing the elders. And the elders, we come to believe, means the older generation. And oftentimes in uh, the ancient Israel society, the older generation was also the leaders of their society. So he's addressing not only the older generation, but the leaders of the society. And he simply asks them to reflect on the current situation that they see themselves in and try to recall if they ever had seen such devastation in their lives. And the implied answer is that they have certainly never seen anything like they're going through in this moment. As we're going to find out, they have just been struck with a massive plague of locusts that's devastated everything. Secondly, the prophet instructs the elders to pass along the story to their children and grandchildren and further generations about what they're seeing. To pass along this, this moment in time to future generations that they would remember it. It really goes along the same instruction that, that we find in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, you shall teach them, this is being God's law, but you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
So in ancient times, uh, history and law was passed down orally from generation to generation. They didn't have printing presses like we do today. They didn't have mass production of, of books and stuff like that. Everything was written down by hand and it was very limited quantities. Typically it was held just for the temple purposes. There was very rare occasions where people would have uh, personal copies of the law or of history. And so they'd pass down what was happened and, and they'd memorize the law and pass it down to future generations by teaching them um, in their homes. And so... Uh, the commands of God, the history of Israel, again, was passed down by the spoken word. And Joel is essentially telling the people of his day the same thing that's happening here. Pass this time of history on to future generations, that they would not forget where they have come from, that they would not forget the judgment of the Lord. Now, similarly, they would, it would be kind of similar to what we have today, you know, family devotions. Does anyone do that with their kids or has, has tried that with their kids or... Uh, typically, it's usually, yeah, I've tried it. <laughs> it doesn't usually go as we plan. You know, everything in our mind is, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to study this, and uh, my kids are just going to grow. You know, they're going to walk on water and do all these amazing things. And in reality, you know, they just start calling each other names or, you know, uh, running around the house, and it doesn't go like you think. And I begin yelling at them, and I'm in the flesh now, and we go to bed angry. It doesn't go as I plan. And uh, maybe it's just me. You're like, wow, this pastor's got a lot of issues. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's got to work on that. I do. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't typically go as planned, but uh, it is important that we do make an effort to read through God's word as a family. Um, that, uh, that time of devotion really is a vital part of raising our children. Uh, but a former pastor of mine, Pastor John Randall, he really put it into perspective. He once said that it's not just devotions our children need to observe. It's devotion in our lives that they need to observe. So it goes a step further. We can teach them the word of God, but if we're not living the word of God, how much of that is really going to sink in. And so that, that really struck a chord with me. You know, I, you know, I could have all the answers theologically speaking. I certainly don't. So you can certainly ask me hard questions. I might not have the answer. Uh, but if I had all the answers, and, and if I took my children through the entirety of God's word and broke it down for them exegetically from Genesis to Revelation, explaining everything, every single truth of God's word in layman's terms to them, but fail to live my life in a way that they see what I'm teaching, it's going to fall relatively flat. It doesn't mean that that truth is not going to sink in with them, but if they're not seeing the word of God lived in my own life, it's not going to mean as much in their life. And I've come to find out that children watch and listen intently to how we live our lives. They don't listen intently when I ask them to do something, but they listen intently when I'm trying to talk to someone else or have comments to say about something else. And um, <laughs> it's like, why, why are you listening right now? You know, <laughs> I wish you were listening when I said, clean your room. Uh, but you're listening when I'm talking how I shouldn't or, <laughs> you know, living how I shouldn't. But that's the way it is. And it's, it's good for me to remember that. It's good for us all to remember that. You know, and, and one thing, as a parent, I really hate seeing my shortcomings come out in my children's lives, you know, and they do something, I say, don't do that, and then, of course, you know, well, you do it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's right, you know, and it, it, but it gives me the opportunity to humbly say to them, you know, you're right, you're right, I do, and I'm sorry for that, but God desires both of us. His word tells us to live differently, so let's both try to live differently, you know, and if you see that, you can point it out, you know, and, and if I see that, I'll point it out. Um, but let's try to, 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 to help one another live according to God's word. And similar to that, you know, last week we ended the book of Jonah. You know, God 
we found out that God can really use our weaknesses uh, to teach us and those around us about himself and his word. Uh, I don't desire, I don't prefer that method, but it's amazing how God can turn any situation for his glory and use that situation to advance his kingdom. Uh, if you recall back to the time when Joshua was leading the nation of Israel, uh, there's a time in there where they crossed the Jordan River, similar to the, the Red Sea. They, they had to, God parted the river and they walked across. And then God called them to take 12 large stones that were in the middle of the river and set up an altar on the other side. Uh, and so the purpose behind this was a reminder to future generations of what God had done for them. And so you can kind of imagine as these future generations are coming to the banks of the Jordan River and they see this altar standing there, you know, Dad, what is that for? He says, well, this is the time when, you know, God's parted the, the waters for us to walk across. And it's just a, a way for them to share the truth of what God has done in their lives and for future generations to remember that. But it tells us later on in Judges chapter 2 that when Joshua died, along with the rest of his generation, in verse 10 it says that there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so what happened was that the truth of God's word, of God's history, of, of everything he had done for his people and his law was not passed down to future generations. At some point they stopped telling the next generation and they forgot the works of the Lord. And I believe we're in a similar position today that we have a generation right now that many of them do not know the works of the Lord. And I'm speaking in particular of my generation and the generation after me. Uh, we're coming to a point where less and less know God's word, they know his works, and they know his truth. And so part of the church's responsibility is to pass God's word, to pass God's truth, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ on to future generations. And when I say the word church, I don't, I don't mean it's just my responsibility as a pastor or, or all pastors' responsibilities. I speak of the church as the body of believers, the body of Christ. So if you're a believer, you're part of the church, and it's your responsibility along with mine to pass the message of truth to future generations. And so whether that be your own children or, or students, if you work in the school system, or family members or friends, the responsibility falls to all of us to make sure that God's word is passed along to the coming generation. Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So particularly that first part of verse 4, that one generation shall commend your works to another. And I believe that we're in a very similar moment in our lives today as the generation of elders that Joel speaks of in his book. Right? I believe that there's many here that can say that they have never observed the time that we're seeing right now. You know, the past decade, the past 20 years. We've probably never seen this in our lives. I know that we've had tons of wars that have ravaged the, the world. Um, but you look at globally, economically, all the natural catastrophes that are taking place. You know, you just see the, um, the hurricanes in, you know, in and around the, the Bahamas and, and America. You see the, the fires in, in South America. Um, you see ISIS trying to control um, Africa. All these terrible things that are going on. There's so much unraveling from one week to the next. And personally speaking, if you read through the book of Revelation, I believe this is telling me that Jesus is coming soon. Now, I don't have a date. I haven't done the mathematics, you know, all these <laughs> goofy things that they have. that say, we can pin down the date Jesus is coming. No, we can't. It tells us no one knows. Um, but I, I believe that the evidence is pointing to his coming soon. And I don't know what soon means. It could be 10 minutes. It could be, you know, another 1,000 years. I don't know, but it could be. But we need to be prepared. 
And with all the pain and darkness and all the hatred that we see in this world, it is so vital that we point our children to Jesus Christ, right? We need to pass it along the torch of truth and righteousness so that they continue to carry it long after we're gone. When our flame goes out, we need to make sure the future generation's flame is alive and strong and shining brightly for the world. So Joel continues now in verse 4. He says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Now Joel is describing a debilitating plague that has struck the kingdom of Judah. It's similar to what we see in, uh, with the Egyptians. While the Israelites were in captivity and God sends the plague of uh, locusts over the Egyptians. Uh, it's this massive swarm of locusts invades the people of Judah here. Now, to be honest, when I first hear this, when, I, when I'm reading through this and I hear like, a swarm of locusts, I think, well, that's not that bad. Is I mean, it's, it's just a bunch of locusts. That's pretty gross. But why don't you just hang out inside for a few days and be good to go, right? It's just, it is what it is. But um, I did some, so I did some research on this because I was like, it can't be that bad. Let's, let's, I've got to research this if it's mentioned. So there's a man by the name of J.S. Baxter, and he described in really great detail the devastation that the locusts were responsible for. He says... The young locusts rapidly obtain the size of a common grasshopper and proceed in one and the same direction, devouring every green thing in its path. Fields of standing wheat and barley, vineyards, mulberry orchards, groves of olives, figs, and other trees are in a few hours deprived of every green blade and leaf, the very bark being often destroyed. When a wall of a house lies in their way, they climb straight up, going over the roof to the, to the other side, and they blindly rush in at the open doors and windows. So first off, close your doors and windows if this ever happens. Uh, <laughs> don't know why they didn't do that to begin with, probably because they didn't have doors and windows like we do today. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that would be pretty bad. But uh, So I came to find out, I did some more studying on these plagues of locusts, how common they are. I don't really hear of them very often, but did anyone know that we had a huge plague that hit the Midwest in 1875? Someone's like, yeah, I was alive for that. No, um, <laughs> I did not. But if you did, it's, uh, it was recorded by a man to be approximately 1,800 miles long and 110 miles wide which is roughly uh, 198,000 square miles. And if you're not sure how big that is, to put that into perspective, this, the entire state of California is 163,000 square miles. So we had an entire plague of locusts covering uh, the sky. You couldn't even see the sun that, that took over larger than the state of California over the Midwest at one point. If they were just all in one spot, it was larger than California. That's pretty crazy. I used to live in California, as, as you can tell, and I had family uh, in Northern California. It took us 12 hours to drive from San Diego to Northern California, and that wasn't even the border. So that's a very big swarm of locusts. Uh, and the, it tells us that the plague lasted five days, and it ravaged everything in its path. And so this is what Joel's describing here. Just what happened in America, the same happened with the Israelites. The, the locusts completely destroyed and, and, and completely overran their crops. They had absolutely nothing left. Everything was just completely eaten. It was bare. And so uh, the first thing we see is that Joel speaks to the elders, right? He asks them, have you ever seen anything like this in your time? And now he speaks to another group. He says, awake, in verse 5, awake you drunkards and weep and wail all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth and it has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. 
So it's, it's just explaining in, um, in allegory or metaphorical terms the devastation of these locusts. It's completely made everything bare from their crops. And so Joel now addresses those who had been given over to wine, to those who are living, are living in drunkenness. And we, we'll see that Joel actually um, specifically speaks to several different members of society. The first being drunkards, and then he talks about the tillers of the soil. And uh, I believe he's speaking metaphorically when he, he talks of the virgins. He's speaking in metaf- metaphorical terms, as we'll see. But as Joel addresses the drunkards, he calls for them to awake. It's the first word he says in verse 5, awake. And so this tells us that they were asleep, probably literally, uh, if they're sleeping off the night before his drink, and uh, spiritually as well. And similarly in the church today, some of us are asleep. Some of us literally right now and spiritually. We're going through the book of Joel, and so you're sleeping, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not okay. I want you to hear this. Uh, but it's important to understand that, that when we speak of spiritually asleep, we're asleep to the reality of what is going on. Right? We're just going through the motions. We're showing up to church here and there, filling our yearly quota to make us feel better, not really growing in our spiritual life, not really answering the call that God has placed on our life. And we've seen a lot of ways that is happening now. And, we, and that's exactly what's happening with the people of Israel at this time. And that's what we see in America today. And there's this, really this lack of sensitivity to what is going on, right? We have Christians who, who seek their own desires and only serve when it benefits them. And uh, as long as the serving doesn't take up too much of their time, energy, resources. And I believe it's, this is really speaking to us directly here this morning, that it's time to wake up. And, and, and when I look at these things and I hear the excuses that people give, you know, I just don't have the time right now, um, I'm going to be frank, it makes me upset. And, and, and I'm not just speaking to, to, to people specifically, I'm speaking to myself because I make those excuses as well. When, when God, I feel God is calling me to something, I say, God, I just don't have time right now. You know, I've got three kids, I'm in school, I have a couple jobs, I just don't have... No, God, God deserves my time first and foremost above all things. Everything else can wait. And so it's time for us really to wake up. The enemy is only continuing to build on his attack on this world. And scripture makes it very clear it's, it's going to continue to get worse. And so we, we need to awake from our slumber. We need to step up to the plate, take action, and stand for what is right in this world. We need to raise our children to understand and to step up and take action as well. To be bold in their faith and have their faith strong, standing firm in Jesus. And so what I believe what really needs to happen in America is we need a revival in the church and we need an awakening in this world to the reality of Jesus Christ. And I believe that all those things start with us as believers. It truly does. It starts with us. And so Joel continues in verse 80, says, Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Now because the crops had been destroyed by the locusts, the people were unable to offer a drink offering to the Lord. They were unable to offer a grain offering. And it's, because, it's simply because there was no more supply. It was all, it was all ravished by the locusts. Everything had been consumed. And so it tells us they could no longer offer their worship because they had turned their backs on the Lord. They had walked away from the Lord as a nation and consumed everything for their own desires. And so now with the crops gone, they have nothing left to worship with, and their spiritual life is affected. Now in many ways, I see the locust in the story similar to sin in our own lives. 
sin just comes in, right? It ravages everything. It ruins everything valuable. It takes everything from us, affects our worship. It strips everything bare and leaves you alone and wounded, oftentimes leaving us hungry and thirsty spiritually. Now Joel, he turns to the elders and and to the drunkards and now to the, the farmers in verse 11. He says, Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. So listen to this. Joel tells the farmers that they need to wail, and the vine dressers, he says, you need to be broken. Now why does he say that? I think it's again simple. There is no fruit. Every tree that should be bearing fruit is no longer bearing fruit. It's withering away. And so there was no fruit from what had been planted. I believe God uses this plague to give us a pictorial example of the nation of Israel at this time. In a spiritual sense, the Bible tells us that those who abide in Christ and he in us, it says that they will bear much fruit. And by this, our Father is glorified. So the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Does anyone know those? Does anyone know the song? The song's always stuck in my head when I say that. My, my son loves the song. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the byproducts of our life when we abide in Christ. Now on the contrary, those who do not abide in Jesus do not bear fruit. And in this case, the the nation of Israel, during the book of Joel, they were not abiding in the Lord, and so they were not uh, bearing spiritual fruit. And in many ways, the literal plague and the famine are a representation of the nation of Israel. They're overrun with sin. Their crops are dead. They have forgotten the works and the law of the Lord. They're without food, and they're without drink. And they were dying from both physically and spiritually. And God was opening their eyes through pain and devastation throughout the land. And to top it all off, we look at the the last part of verse 12. It says, All the fields are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Man. Now the word gladness can literally be translated as the word joy. Some Some of your versions of the scripture may use the word joy. Joy was gone. So so listen to what the Bible says. It says that the joy of the Lord is your strength in Nehemiah 8.10. And, and there's prayer in scripture that says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation in Psalm 51. And so this morning, I, there's a question I really want us all to ponder. If you're in a moment that you're struggling, if you're in a moment of famine, so to speak, spiritually, have you lost your joy? Are you without joy this morning? If so, it is possible it's because you're no longer abiding. You used to abide in the word. You used to abide in fellowship. You used to abide in the presence of the Lord. And there was a sense of joy. And it's not to say that everything in life was perfect in those moments. You know, but we had joy that sustained you even in the midst of hardship and trial. But for one reason or another, perhaps your joy has withered this morning. But there's incredible hope for us this morning to know that God can restore the joy of your salvation. So if you're without joy this morning, you can be restored of that. And he wants to, and he can. And perhaps you think, you, you have no idea how withered I am, or how withered I feel. And that might be true, I don't, but the thing is, God does. Jesus does. It reminds me of the story found in Mark chapter 3. Jesus enters the temple, and he, and he seeks out a man with a withered hand. And I won't go into all the details, there's much more to it, but... 
what does he do? Very shortly, he, he simply he restores the man's hand. He restores it. It's withered, but he restores it. Now, I, I think of that story. Do you, do you think that man had joy? Or he was just like, ah, great, I got a good hand now, you know? <laughs> no, I think, he was, I think he was pretty excited about that. I think he had joy. It was restored to him. He was withered, but now he's been restored and full of joy. And all throughout Scripture, we see the Lord as one who restores. He, he, is, he is a God who restores things. That which is dying, that which lacks life and sustenance, he brings back to life. The word restore really has a very simple definition. Right? It simply means to bring back, to return to a former condition. And does anyone see the, the connection here? That's exactly what Jesus does. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He restored us to our former glory before the fall in the Garden of Eden. We had that perfect communion and fellowship with God that was broken by sin. And Jesus came in and, and he took that penalty of sin on the cross for us that we may be restored back to righteousness. It was the whole purpose of his mission. It was the whole purpose of the cross. And so to return humanity to a former condition. And the thing is, I, w- I was going to go through much more this morning of, of Joel. I wanted to go through, you know, halfway through chapter 2 this morning. But I really, I really felt God was calling me uh, to, to share about restoration. Um, there's so much brokenness in this world. There's so much hardship and pain and anguish, and, and even just in our community itself, that I just felt it was important to understand that there is hope in the midst of that. If you've lost your joy, that you can be restored. That God wants to restore you. He's just waiting for you to call back to him. I understand that life is hard. I know it's very stressful. It can be exhausting. There are moments where we just want to pack it in. Perhaps there are days where we do pack it in. But Jesus desires to restore us. There's been, there's been times in my life where I've gone through, through valleys and, and I just, you just want to give up, right? You, you, don't, you don't see uh, the light at the, end of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel. You know, you just think this is it. You know, this is how life's going to be in that moment. And it's so hard to push through. And time and again, you know, I, I seek to, to find that joy on my own. I seek to find that happiness on my own accord. But it's only in the times where I finally get on my hands and knees and just call out to Jesus and ask for him to come back and to restore my life. That's when I find joy. That's where I find hope is in the midst of the storm is when Jesus, when I'm beside Jesus, when I'm calling back to him. And so I just encourage you, if you're in a place like that this morning, if, if, you, if you just are anguishing or you've just lost your joy. And I understand that happiness is fleeting. I understand that that's really based on circumstances. But joy, we can have joy even in the midst of trial. We see the book of Job uh, where, where he holds on to his joy even in the midst of trial. And I know it's possible. I, I've, I've been through moments where I've held on to joy in the midst of trial myself. And, and so I just want to encourage you, if you've lost that joy, to, to find that restoration in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I just I wanted to offer uh, this morning a time of prayer um, for you if, you, if that's what you need. Um, Sarah offered to, to be up here for prayer, and, and Brad as well. Uh, and so if you just, if you need prayer in your life, if you just are kind of feeling without hope and without joy, uh, I just encourage you to be in fellowship and prayer with one another. That's the, that's the purpose in, of the church, is that we come together and, and pray for one another, we uplift one another, encourage one another, um, face one another, face burdens together. Uh, it's the purpose of the church. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to be playing some music. You're welcome uh, to worship alongside, if that's what you, you want to do. You're welcome 
welcome to, to be in personal prayer if that's what you prefer, or if you need prayer um, with someone else, you can come up. Um, I'll have them available here on the sides, uh, and they'll be happy to pray with you as well. And uh, we'll sing uh, this next song for as long as we need. And uh, I just encourage you guys that you can find your hope, you can find your joy restored in the Lord. Okay, um, The purpose of this message in the book of Joel is that these people of Israel had turned their backs on God for too long. And he, he, so he brought forth this, this plague, this devastation to awaken them from their sleep and to draw them back to him. And sometimes it takes that devastation in our own lives to, for us to wake up and be brought back to the Lord. And so if that's the case, um, you know, just it's time to come home. You know, It's time to come back to the Lord and uh, may he restore you. So I'll begin playing a song. If you need prayer, come up. Uh, if you want to pray at your seats, that's fine too. And if you want to worship, you're welcome to worship. i 
treasures you found Father, we just give this day to you, Lord. I just pray that we would uh, just remember in, in the midst of trouble, trial, difficulty, um, even famine in our life, Lord, that uh, you promised to restore. As we'll see in the book of Joel, you promised to restore the nation of Israel. You've promised to restore us. And Lord, for those that have lost hope, those that have lost joy, those that have lost um, just that 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 peace and... and um, just the happiness and joy and, and, and strength that you bring in our life, Lord God, I just pray that they would uh, just come to the altar, uh, that they would lay their life and their burdens and their famine before you and just ask for, for you to restore their soul, that you bring us back to the joy of our salvation, Lord, and you promised that. And so, Lord, I just, uh, I just ask um, that we would be um, responsible um, and uh, take serious the, the calling to, to raise this future generation to know you, uh, this future generation to be firm and strong in their faith that they may um, withstand the enemy, withstand persecution and trial, Lord God, and, and just stand boldly for you, Lord God. And I just, uh, I just pray that we also live a life that shows devotion of you and, and of your word, that they see that in our own life, Lord. And those actions speak so much louder than just the words itself, that they would see that. And, um, and Lord, I just, uh, I just pray for this community. I ask that your spirit of peace would just encompass it, that it would surround us and, and that it would fill us, Lord, and that we would have hope uh, just beyond our current trials and tribulations and that we would seek you out uh, in the midst of those things. In your name we pray. Amen.